0: Hello, and welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I am your host, Emma Venner, and today I'm sharing Episode 70 with Tracy Quisenberry. Tracy is the founder and executive director of Icing Smiles, which is a nonprofit organization that provides custom celebration cakes and other treats to families that are impacted by the critical illness of a child. They have a really incredible volunteer base with cake artists that are spread out across the country so that they can serve children and their families no matter where they are. And Tracy really does it all. Outside of Icing Smiles, she is the mother of two and she works as a senior international tax manager. And in this episode, Tracy talks about how she started Icing Smiles, her own experience with her son having health issues in his early childhood, balancing a full-time career with being the founder and executive director of a nonprofit, the incredible support that she has from volunteers and corporate sponsors, and so much more. I'm really excited to share my conversation with Tracy today because I was just so inspired by all that she is doing to help the community and impact so many people around her. But before we get started, I do want to share about Finley's. Finley's is a company that makes pet treats with just a few all natural ingredients that your pet will love. And the best part of it all is that they give 50% of their profits to initiatives that provide employment training, accessibility, health and wellness, and advocacy platforms for people with disabilities. They are doing such incredible things, and I am so excited to be able to get you 20% off your order at getfinleys.com when you use the code illuminate20. All right, let's get to it. I'm so excited to bring you my conversation with Tracy Quisenberry. All right, today on the podcast, I am so excited to be joined by Tracy Quisenberry. Thank you for coming on the show, Tracy.
1: Absolutely, Emma. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. All right, to start it off, can you give a little introduction to who you are?
1: Uh, Sure. Um, Which side?
0: (laughs) All of it. I know you have a lot of facets with the icing smiles and then your corporate work as well. So I don't know, a broad overview is good.
1: All right. Well, yes, ma'am. So my name is Tracy Quisenberry. I am the founder and executive director of Icing Smiles, and I would say that is by far my passion. Um, my profession is in the international tax area. So I'm an international tax uh, manager for a satellite uh, communication company. Um, and then the personal side, I am also the <clears throat> excuse me, the mother of two close to adult
0: children. Awesome. And yeah, so going all the way back, you've been in uh, the international tax business for a while from what I've read and heard on another podcast. What exactly does that job entail? (laughs) So, uh, how long have you got? Um,
1: I'll try. (laughs) I'll keep this one a little bit short because I'm sure it will bore everybody. Um, But so international tax field, my focus is obviously in the corporate area. So my responsibility is for ensuring that all of our international activities are properly handled on our U.S. tax returns, as well as being sure we are fulfilling our requirements in other jurisdictions. Um, it's really not quite as boring as it sounds because there's a lot of kind of planning that goes into it. So it makes it a little fun. It's not just knowing the law, but how to use the law, um, to the advantage of the company and the shareholders. So there's a, there is a creative side to it, even though that sounds a little funny.
0: Yeah. Is it different? Is it really different within each company or do the same ideas kind of translate company to company? So I would say a lot of it
1: depends on the field that the company works in or the industry that they're in, I should say. So I spent a lot of time in the hospitality industry um, for most of my career. Uh, Those issues are certainly different than satellite communications, Um, but you find that really the law changes country by country. So it all depends on where a company is operating.
0: Interesting. A whole different world from what I know and what I'm used to. (laughs) I don't blame you for staying away
1: from it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I'm sure it's it's great. Obviously, you've been in the career for a long time, so it's got to be fun with a lot of big challenges and everything like that working in such a corporate area. So, you did have two big life-changing experiences with your kids when they were born, both born premature, and you talked about you've talked about previously how your son had a challenging first three years of his life with, health-wise, I should say. Um, do you wanna talk about that a little bit? Sure.
1: Um, I think it really kind of shaped, to be honest with you,
0: a lot of the choices that I made with
1: um, my passions. Um, and it really gave me exposure to what medical families go through. But it's interesting, because it was both the kids. Um, with my firstborn daughter, She was a NICU baby, but um, she was—you know—both of them were born premature. When I say premature, we're talking five weeks, and they were both had great APGAR scores. And but um, Emily had some issues with her breathing, so she was in the NICU, but only a week, and it was devastating. You know, it was our firstborn. I left the hospital without her. Um, and the fear of the unknown is something that I, it's almost impossible to explain to anyone. Um, to, she's now 20 years old studying chemical engineering at Yale and is doing. Wow. Just, yeah. And she's doing just fine. She's Navy ROTC. I mean, she's healthy as can be. But you mentioned that time in our lives. And I look back and I remember them taking her out of my arms mm-hmm. and taking her to the NICU. and. Telling me they were going to run all these tests and just sheer fear. Um, So I can't, you know, I can relate to when a family tells me they've just had a diagnosis, you know, and I get Mm -hmm. it. Um, On the other side, there was Justin, who was born three years later, also premature, but never needed to go to the NICU. Um, He did fine for the first, you know, six to nine months, and then he started to crawl. And once he started to crawl, he got sick. And it was pneumonia, it was the first diagnosis. And then for the next year and a half, we were battling pneumonia or they weren't sure what it was. Um, So he was either on an antibiotic or he had pneumonia. Um, And that, we kind of got the exposure to the long-term nature of a chronic illness and how your routines are just turned completely upside down, and you think, you know, especially as a young adult, you know, you expect to have control over your life, and something like that happens, and you say, you know what, we really don't. We all we can do is react to what we're dealt, what we're handed. Um, so I got both sides of it. I got the fear of the unknown with her, and then with him, just the long-term impact of a chronic illness, and he's another one he's perfectly fine now it was an immune deficiency it took a year and a half to get a diagnosis and then once we got a diagnosis it was a simple injection it was a shot wow um, really yep so they gave him prevnar which kind of kicked his immune system in gear and you know we dealt with some lingering asthma and things like that but overall you know we the issue was resolved So we were very fortunate, but that those two experiences really kind of gave me just a heart for these, especially these medical mamas and what they go through.
0: Yeah, that had to have been like scary the second time when you had already experienced it one time with your daughter. And then when your son is born prematurely and there's some complications later on, that has to be just like terrifying
1: there's no doubt. And you learn to just kind of trust you just that things happen. I I don't want to say happen for a reason, because that sounds so trite. And I don't mean that. But there's that's about all you can do is you have to trust Mm -hmm. that something is going to come out of it. At least that's what I had to do in order to kind of make my way through. But, you know, like I said, what we have to face, I don't want to kind of pretend and blow it out of proportion. It's nothing like what the families we serve go through.
0: Is it common to have two once, like if you've had one kid that's born prematurely, is it common to have a second? Uh,
1: actually, it is. It somewhat depends on the reason
0: for the prematurity, oh, okay.
1: um, but it, for whatever reason, I've, it's kind of become a running joke that my uterus just didn't want to keep these kids in. <laughs> it was so, yeah. you know, we knew after two, we weren't going to roll the dice and kind of risk our luck again. Um, so we, we stopped there. <laughs>
0: Oh, for sure. I would imagine. What were some of the things that you, because I imagine it was with that long journey with your son with chronic illness, it had to have been like really hard on the family and your daughter as well. And then just anyone involved in that journey. So what were maybe some of the things that brought you joy during those years? Uh, It's
1: funny because that's actually when I picked up cake decorating. So um, when, uh, you know, I actually do this motivational speaking where I tell a little bit more in depth the story of kind of Justin's illness and how I was working at, you know, it was Marriott International and I was their international tax director. And it it became very clear that, that I had to make some choices and it had to be family at that time. And so I went on family medical leave and um, really found it hard to stay home without what I felt a long-term purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, Granted, my kids were my purpose and that's why I was doing it. And I was thrilled to be a mom and I was thrilled to be home, but I needed goals. I mean, I'm a type A personality. I need to be working towards something. So that's actually when I picked up the hobby of cake decorating. And had you ever done it before? oh heck no oh no way no. no it's actually it's kind of comical it was it was justin's um birthday and you know we didn't have the money to be doing these big you know expensive parties and i said you know i'm gonna do all the work myself i'm not gonna hire an event planner or, you know all that kind of stuff that some people do and they get a little crazy so i said i'll throw a theme birthday party and i went out and it was going to be a rubber duck theme And planned the party, decorated the house, but I could not afford a custom cake Uh, because they're crazy expensive. Oh, yeah. And they're expensive because of the amount of labor. I mean, it's valid what these people are charging. Please don't (laughs) get me wrong. I don't want to hear any baker hear this and say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe she's Uh, we just couldn't afford it. So I said, I'll do it myself. And um, I literally went to Michael's and bought uh, the three dimensional rubber duck cake pan um a couple of tips a couple of pastry bags and i thought i was like crazy amazing i thought i was gonna be like the greatest cake baker ever um and it was awful i i mean i poured my heart and soul into this cake but this cake was really ugly um but i loved it because the kids did so you know they walked into this party and they saw what i joke looked more like a pineapple with a beak than a rubber duck (laughs) yeah um and (laughs) But they loved it, they came in and it was the first thing that they went to, and that kind of sparked my passion for it, knowing that something as silly as what I created could have an impact on these kids and make them happy and make them laugh, it made me kind of want to do more. And that's where I really started to look into techniques and I started, you know, researching the craft and uh, doing more and more. But I really honestly don't have an artistic bone in my body. So while it made me happy, there probably was not much of a future in it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I did with my time during that time.
0: Wow. And then I assume soon after Icing Smiles was born, how did that first cake that wasn't fabulous turn into an organization where you actually do this for other people. So it's funny because I loved doing them. And
1: there was no way that the family was going to eat all the cakes I made. And I also joke that my kids kind of got annoyed because if I wanted to do a teapot cake, I would kind of force my daughter to have a teapot playdate, date and I would make a cake. Oh, funny. So they were like, OK, mom, I really don't need you to plan all my play dates. And um, so... I started to look for ways that I could do it for other people, but the stress of not being an artist and not being really good at what I was doing and having to charge for it just wasn't comfortable. So I've tried to find a way to give away my cakes and I cold called, I kid you not, I cold called Ronald McDonald House. And at the time we were living in central Ohio and I got connected with really the wrong person who I told my story to, and he was a marketing director, not a volunteer coordinator. And he was like, this is amazing. This, this is such an incredible service. Do you know how much these families would appreciate this? And he kind of motivated me and took this little idea of me giving away cakes and, and kind of encouraged me to think bigger. And I did, and I incorporated, and then literally six months later, everything exploded and we really went viral. So it, was, it, it became a runaway train very, very quickly in the process.
0: So was there ever like a couple months or anything at the beginning where you didn't think it could turn into anything?
1: The, it, yeah, so we incorporated in October. We did our first cake in January and I kind of felt like I had to beg for offering the service to people. I didn't see anybody, like I kind of thought Ronald McDonald House would hit me with all these requests right out of the gate and it wasn't happening and I couldn't understand it. Um, and then if, if this was 2010 and this was right around the time when Facebook really started to, to kind of come into an everyday thing um and then a friend outed my this effort on facebook one thing led to another someone saw it they requested a cake but they were in new york and i was like i'm not sure how i'm gonna fill that i'm in ohio so that was really the big decision maker and i kid you not the big decision maker was do we take that cake in new york can i find somebody who's willing to do it and i called Probably five of the best bakers in the world, or I should say artists. I really shouldn't even be using the term baker. The five of the best cake artists in the world. One of them took me up on it, and she actually had a connection with Parents Magazine. She blogged about her experience doing this cake, oh, and yeah. we went viral. Mm-hmm. And I was wow. at it was June, like June twenty sixth or something like that of two thousand ten, and I started getting email inundated 301 day of people wanting to volunteer and that's when I realized okay it took six months but that was only six months and from that point forward there was no looking back there was no question in my mind that this is a valuable service.
0: Yeah wow that is incredible and it must feel so special to have obviously you believe in the mission and you understand completely what you're trying to do behind the scenes, but it must be an incredible step in the process of creating this when other people buy in and other people want to jump on board, volunteer their time and their resources to help your mission.
1: Oh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, they, you know, one of the questions you sent out ahead, I'm kind of going to be answering now, but it's it's honestly our volunteers that keep me motivated mm, because yeah. I want to do my best for them to provide them with opportunities to serve because they're dying to serve um, and they would do anything I mean it's it's you know we've had people drive four hours each way to deliver a cake wow you know 100 hours and man hours invested in, in one special cake for one child I mean there's you know You really see the best in people when you do this and it it really makes you want to do your best for them. So, yes, they the volunteers never cease to amaze me.
0: Yeah. Going off of that, I want to hear how your I should ask, are you a nonprofit as well? What is the difference between like being incorporated and being a nonprofit? Can you be both?
1: There's not much, you are both effectively. So we incorporate you just like any business would incorporate. And then you file for your um, nonprofit status with the IRS. And all that means is basically, and this is what a lot of people don't recognize is nonprofits are businesses. Mm -hmm. They have to operate just like a business would. The only difference is we are working for the public. We are not working for our shareholders because we don't have shareholders. Mm -hmm. So no one owns a nonprofit, the public owns it. So I may have incorporated it,
0: but I don't
1: own it. If we were to shut down tomorrow, all of the assets that we have have
0: to be redistributed to the public. Oh, really? How so? How would you redistribute them?
1: Probably redistribute to other like organizations. Okay. So let's say we had to shut down, I mean, we don't have a lot of assets. It's predominantly cash um, Mm -hmm. because we have our volunteers do our cakes and donate them. So it's not like we've got kitchen and ovens and all that kind of stuff. So we would probably end up making donations to other organizations that serve similar to the way we do, like Make-A-Wish.
0: Oh, yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Um, well, I don't love that because that would mean you guys would fail, but um, I know what you mean. <laughs> you're thriving. But um, OK, going back, what I was going to ask was, how does the organization work? Because are you still located in Ohio or have you relocated?
1: So that's the funny part is we're an Ohio corporation, but we are now currently you could say headquartered in Maryland because mm. I am living in Maryland now. But we were actually remote before remote was cool we've never had offices so we have operated 100 percent remote and our leadership team is spread out all over the us we actually have one member of our leadership team who is now in canada
0: oh, wow. um,
1: so yeah so we are all over so i mm-hmm. you know we use that term loosely when we need a physical mailing address it is our you know, my address effectively. Um, and that's where we're headquartered, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything about where we serve.
0: Mm, okay. So, how do you serve throughout the United States? I assume you have a ton of volunteers throughout the whole nation and then like a ton within each state to be able to complete these orders from families that you're exactly right um we work i like to kind of say we're kind
1: of like a clearing house so a family will apply for our service and we go through all the admin we make sure that they you know their condition is is verified and all that kind of stuff and then we connect them with a local beaker that's close to them that's in our database of volunteers So you're right, we have over 12,000 volunteers spread out in all 50 states in the U.S. Um, You know, some get called on more often than others based on their location and where we get requests. Um, And we match them up and then they kind of work together on what the child would like. So we stay involved from an administrative perspective and we make sure that everything is going okay. Uh, But the core work is being done by those on the ground baking volunteers that we call Sugar Angels.
0: And who are these volunteers? Do you have to be a certain level of, do you have have a certain skill of decorating? Or can really anyone jump in even if they are really, really, really new at decorating a cake? So
1: we have different ways that people can serve, uh, we do have dream cakes, which we tend to reserve for the more experienced bakers. Um, The irony of this is I probably couldn't even do a dream cake for my organization right now because (laughs) the the talent level is so amazing. Um, So we have dream cakes and we have what we call fun cakes where we can use less experienced bakers. The hard part is there are some people who are just more comfortable, not necessarily decorating, but love to bake. And we're trying to implement new programs to find ways to use the non-artist bakers in our mission. Um, that's been a little bit more of a challenge, but we're getting there.
0: And I don't know if we ever went over this fully. What are the types of families or individuals that you are bringing cakes to? So, it's very similar in qualification to
1: wish. Basically, we say that you have to have a life-threatening, degenerative condition. Um, the other qualification that we've added is that they can qualify based on frequent or extended hospitalizations. So the reason we did that is because there are, there are a lot of services out there for kids that have life-threatening illness. But what about the child that is a burn victim or has been in a serious accident and has been hospitalized for extended periods of time? While it's not a degenerative life-threatening illness at a certain point, they're still impacted and their lives have been turned upside down. So we added that. So those are the two qualifications. And then once one child in the family qualifies, their siblings are automatically qualified.
0: And how many, like... Applications are you getting a day? How do you verify it? You talked about having to verify that their illness, and how do you verify that? Maybe how many do you have to turn down, or do you really complete them all if they pass the background check, per se?
1: so the way we do it it we're we're trying hard to make it as easy as possible for families but still protect our volunteer assets because there are people out there that do take advantage of a situation so we um ask for a simple what we call an an mef a medical eligibility form with every application that is done by the family and that MEF can can be signed off either by a nurse or a doctor that is familiar with their condition and their care. Um, What we tend to find is we will receive, let's say, anywhere from 8 to 12 applications a day. And probably about 20% of them will come in without the required attachments. And I wouldn't say we turn anyone away, we just tell them they can't cross over and we can't schedule them until they provide us with the proper documentation. So we are looking for other ways to get them to serve, let's say like under, you know, during these COVID times, it makes it hard for families sometimes to get out to their doctors. So we will accept something like a make a wish letter if they've already been approved by another organization that has similar qualifications. So we really try to make it as easy as possible for families
0: and how how do you think a cake brings joy to a kid and a family beyond obviously the deliciousness and the joy of someone someone else caring about you outside of your family and everything like that what what do you think your cakes have brought that maybe we don't think about So there
1: is such an intangible to cake that I don't think I even realized when we started this. A couple of, and this may be a little bit disjointed because I'll think of things as I talk about it, but it is a distraction that gives these kids, even these families, these moms, the hospital workers, it doesn't matter, anybody that gets exposed to a well-executed custom cake, As crazy as it sounds, it changes their attitude for a short period of time because you can't not be happy around a cake. It's like close to impossible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it gives them this break from the melancholy routine of what they're going through. And that break alone can sometimes change the course of a day or a week or a month. the cake that I talked about in New York, that one of that one of the very first cakes that we did, I will never forget the mom commenting that, you know, that the child was undergoing extremely painful immunotherapy at Sloan Kettering. And she said, all he said was that he was just ready to meet God, he was tired of, of the pain. Mm. We came in with, it was a three-dimensional Yoshi cake, and he, Totally changed his attitude. He didn't complain. During his treatment, all he did was talk to the nurses about his cake. So something that we really hadn't considered. Um, Another area, these families really don't take too many pictures. It's not something that you would really think about. But, you know, their journey, they're in a hospital room. Who wants to commemorate that? But we're giving them something to take a picture of that's a happy time during that journey so now they've got these memories that they can look back on and recognize that it wasn't all bad um another and like i told you i have a habit of going off on tangents but um, <laughs> it's I, perfect these kind, of, these kind of stories are exactly what um a lot of people just don't realize oh yeah uh, that's we, why
0: i wanted to know because it seems like it can bring so much more than you'd think
1: uh, yes. Um, it, if I have time, I have two more really quick ones. Absolutely. Go ahead. Okay. So we had um, an eight, this was early on. We had an 18 year old in Ohio who had just been placed on hospice and I couldn't understand it at the time, but she told her parents that all she wanted was an, I think smiles cake. And so we made sure that it happened And figured out afterwards that what she was doing was she was hosting her own going away party. So she planned this party so that everybody could come over and see this cake. And it gave her an opportunity to effectively say goodbye to her friends and family with a positive um, focus. It wasn't a negative you know, this is our last time together, kind of thing. It was a very positive experience, and the family says it's something they will never forget. Um, and along those lines, the, and this one blows me away. We had a child in um, Kansas. We brought over this amazing three-dimensional. Um, it was a Diego, cake done by oh, by yeah. one of the most one of the best cake artists um, in the country. And the child, we got the pictures from that day, and the child was clearly um, ill, and you could you could tell, I mean, we've seen enough of them now that you can kind of see the, what happens in those last couple days where it's really hard to keep them awake, and you just knew the child didn't have long. Yeah, um, this was we delivered on a Saturday. child passed on Sunday. And it sounds crazy that I sound happy about this because it's not. It's an incredibly sad situation. But we received an email from the mom on Monday and it was filled with joy. And she said, I never thought my child's last day on earth could have been a celebration. And you guys made that possible. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, Emma, when you get feedback like that, like that chokes me up. I mean, how many people can say that about their job? You know, so oh, for sure. Definitely not something I ever anticipated, but I am so glad that it's happened and it has had that impact on these families. Mm -hmm. So,
0: Well, and I'm glad that there's people like you out there doing this work and sacrificing a ton of their time and putting so much energy into organizations like this. That's one of the coolest things about getting to interview people like you. It's like, wow, there are so many people out there. You know, people talk about all the bad things in the world, but I really see just how many incredible people there are that are willing to give their time, their energy, their money, everything to help others and to bring that smile to a family, to bring that last, lasting memory to a family, to a child, to really anyone in this world. And it's, it's an incredible gift that you're giving.
1: Why? Thank you. I appreciate that. It doesn't feel like it because I get so much more back than I give. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, but it's, that's, that's just how it tells always works. You Yeah. That, you know, that's what's the cool thing about this is. It, it is a ton of work, and mm-hmm. and there are days where you question, "What the heck am I doing?" But when you think about how much you're putting in and the fact that you get back so much more, how cool is that?
0: Yeah, and I think what surprised me when I was just kind of researching your story a bit and listening to a couple other podcasts. I was surprised to find out that you actually are still in international tax and <laughs> you still have a full-time corporate job. But I this do. seems so full-time to me and it seems like something that takes up probably a big majority of your days and weeks. So it, there is no doubt in, the, in a perfect world. This would be my
1: full time job. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that changed when I became a single mom and I really didn't have the luxury of being able to effectively volunteer um, my -hmm. time. Um, (laughs) Fortunately or unfortunately, international tax just pays a little too well. So in order to keep a (laughs) roof over my head, we had to go back to the real world. Um, but I was very fortunate in that I have found a company that recognizes that my passion and my profession are not necessarily the same. Oh yeah. And I'm fully committed to my job. I want to do a really good job and I want to have an impact, um, on the company, but, um, All that extra time that I maybe should be putting into reading tax code is not going (laughs) to happen. It's being put into this. And they accept that and they recognize it. And I mean, it doesn't come without a career sacrifice, but at the same time, that sacrifice is well worth it. So.
0: Yeah. I appreciate you saying that and just bringing light to that. It is possible. I mean, there are people that can do their passion and career all in one. Um, but there are people like you that are able to make it work and do something that brings in the, in the bills that are obviously necessary and then, and and then split the rest of their time doing something that they're passionate about. And that brings a lot to the community and the world and everything like that, which is even more incredible that you're able to do both at once. Well, thank you.
1: Definitely can be tiring. <laughs> oh, I'd imagine. But so worth it.
0: <laughs> yeah, so going off of that, do you have, I mean, I saw on your website that you do have a team of administrative people and, and uh, kind of regional admin people throughout the United States. Are they all volunteers as well? Or is there, um, do you have an employed team within your organization?
1: So, it's predominantly volunteer, and outside of our bakers, we actually have an administrative team of about 125. Volunteers, um, wow. Vo- mostly volunteers. Wow. So, we awesome have one assistant director who's an employee, and she is our only full time employee. And then we have a couple other of our team members who I would say are independent contractors um, on small stipends, but based on what we are stipending, (laughs) I would say they're effectively volunteers. So, but that's the, what we see is a bridge towards employment. So if it, you know, we're not in a position to do extensive hiring but we want to reward the people that are truly stepping up as leaders within the organization. And then as additional funding comes in, we would love for them to become
0: our next employees. All right. I'm just stopping in here real quick to share a few quick things before getting back to my conversation with Tracy Quisenberry. I'm really excited to share about the company Finley's. And Finley's was founded by two former special education teachers and they're making pet treats with just a few all natural ingredients that your pets will love. They have some really fun flavors that you your pets can try, including peanut butter, pumpkin, crunchy biscuits, peanut butter, banana, blueberry, coconut, crunchy, apple and cinnamon, salmon, and so many others. There's definitely a flavor that your pet will love. And what I really love is that they give 50% of their profits, that's half of their profits, to initiatives that provide employment training, accessibility, health and wellness, and advocacy platforms for people with disabilities. This company is just doing so many great things, so I just love supporting them because of all that they're giving back and doing for the community and all the opportunities that they're providing for individuals with disabilities. So you all can use code Illuminate20 to get 20% off your order at getfinleys.com. And lastly, we do have a listener survey for the Illuminate podcast that we would love if you filled out. We want to hear from you to help better the show in the coming year. And I will put a link to the survey in the show notes and would love if you took just a few minutes to fill that out. All right. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Tracy. Um, so you have 125 admin employees, and I you might have mentioned this before, but how many baker employees do you have? Or so sorry, we have, volunteers is the I, I know which place. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes, we have over 1,200 um, Sugar Angels across the U.S. I think the number now is about 1,200 and I'm sorry, twelve thousand. I said 1,200. Twelve thousand three hundred is approximately wow. the number right now.
0: That is like incredible i don't think many nonprofits can say that they have that many volunteers no they cannot Um, we are very fortunate the baking community has
1: completely embraced us so you know a lot of people say oh i've never heard of you well if you're in the baking community you certainly have outside of that we're still working on the general awareness and getting people to know that we exist out there but certainly within our industry it's an it's they all know. And and we're in a very unique position because if you if you look at our stats, we have over 12,000 volunteers that are baking volunteers, but we're uh, prior to COVID, we were averaging about 3000 cakes a year. So what that tells you is we're not fully utilizing our volunteer base. Uh, One of the things a lot of people don't recognize is administratively when you're running an organization like this, While I have willing volunteers and I could probably work pretty hard and pretty um, to increase the demand I need to get them baking, there's that matchup, that administrative process that goes on in between the two that requires that 100 person administrative team to execute. And we know that um, using the technology that we have currently and the limited funding resources that we have, we're really capped at about 3,000 cakes a year. So that's why, you know, funding, you know, people always ask, well, well why do you take donations if, you're, if your cakes are, are all given to you for mm-hmm. free? And it's that piece of it. It's the fact that I I need, you know, I need insurance. I need a good database to manage the, the information. Um, I have to pay people to be able to do it if i'm volunteer dependent any one of those volunteers could disappear on me without notice i have nothing to kind of hold over them so we're you know they walk away and then we let a family down mm-hmm. so we know that what we can do and execute well with good quality is about three thousand a year right now
0: and what are the things maybe you need to do to be able to increase that 3000 number. I mean, obviously it's probably funding and I guess you could dive into like where the funds come from for your organization and what you would need to do to get to raise the amount of cakes that you're making a year.
1: Absolutely. So I think the biggest step for us is um, efficiency in our process and trying to automate some of our, our process. Um, While I think we have a really good, clean process, there are some manual parts to it that I think we could improve on and reduce the number of administrative volunteers we need to execute and increase numbers. So say that a different way, we need a CRM. So we need the the CRM technology. customer relation management software that would allow us to be able to handle these CAKE requests in a more automated fashion. Um, we're, We're researching that now, but of course, that doesn't come free. And that's where we need funding. So we have a capital campaign right now that says we expect to need anywhere from let's say 10 we don't know exact numbers we're waiting for the proposal let's say mm-hmm. anywhere from 10 to about $50,000 just for implementation and then we have ongoing costs of about 10 to 15,000 a year okay. that we need to get covered so above our current budget so um with that said what are our funding sources well let me tell you they're changing um in this post covid world and it's a little scary so Prior to COVID, uh, I would say we were about 60% funded by corporate sponsors, um, which is very unusual for a nonprofit. Usually those numbers are quite a bit lower, but we've been blessed. We have companies like um, Satin Ice, which is the largest fondant manufacturer in the US. Uh, We have Domino Sugar. We have Nielsen Massey Vanilla. We have um, other industry um, vendors like Chef Rubber and Pre-Gel and, gosh, I'm hoping I've got my list good right now, <laughs> Go, um, walking down. Um, but, you know, the industry, the restaurant industry has been hit really hard. Yeah, so absolutely. So they've been hit hard. So we don't know what's going to happen when those sponsorships come up for renewal. So it's really scary. We're hoping that they stay in it with us because we know they love our mission and they've been with us for a long time, but but it's scary. Um, And then probably about 20% of our budget was from individual donations. Uh, and individual donors are changing how they Mm -hmm. donate. So that's another thing that nonprofits are seeing, you know, I think overall giving is probably up, uh, but it's a lot of the giving is being focused toward COVID relief, right? So you, it's not an unlimited supply. So while you shift to one, you're taking from others. So organizations like ours that are focused on quality of life, and you know, some would say, "Well, we really, we really need to solve this COVID problem before we start giving kids cakes." You know, that's what the critics would say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, that's that kind of it, It's natural, and we certainly understand it. But we we know we're going to be impacted by a change in giving patterns for individuals, and then obviously, the remaining twenty percent was events, and Which they're also not happening.
0: Affected, yeah,
1: exactly. So it's a really scary time for organizations like ours, mm-hmm. but you know we're not, and we're not really the prime target for grants because we're not dealing with what a lot of foundations look for, which is either poverty, education, hunger. You know, mm-hmm. we're really unique, um, so it, it makes it very difficult. But if anyone listening knows anyone that's offering grants for improved technology (laughs) for a nonprofit, please let us know, because that may be the way we have to go to get this funded and be able to grow the way we would like to.
0: Yes. Whoever out there can help. That'd be incredible to find something like that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. That's really interesting. And I like what you said about it's not a cause that, you know, that I mean, I guess the children with chronic illness is like a really important thing. You often see like cancer and stuff getting a lot of funding, but definitely the unique nonprofits have a little more trouble getting that funding because it doesn't have that quick sell of like, hey, like you know someone that will be directly impacted with this dollar.
1: Correct. We try to focus a lot of our fundraising efforts in the peer-to-peer environment because we feel like our the best people to tell our story and tell and talk about the impact of what we do are either the parents we've served or the bakers that have served them. So we really try to put programs in place that make it easy for them to help us with the fundraising without it being a big ask. Because we always say, you know, fundraising is really just PR and PR is really just telling your story Mm -hmm. so everyone can be a fundraiser it doesn't have to be a big ask you just have to tell the story
0: absolutely yeah what a great way and if you really think about it just hearing your story it's we all can kind of put ourselves in that situation of you know going back to our childhood of what if we would have had a chronic illness or even going to look forward or currently whatever situation people are in as a parent and thinking what it would feel like to have your child going through something that that impactful and, and that yeah. life-changing and having an organization like yours come in and lend a helping hand and say, hey, we care and we want to make a positive experience for you.
1: Yeah. I think one of the things that COVID is doing for us is, you know, I kind of joked about we were remote before remote is cool, but another way to look at it is, you know, our families did quarantine before it was common. Mm, Yeah. This is something that they're used to. So what we're trying to do is capitalize. I capitalized it because that sounds terrible and I don't mean it that way, but we're trying to get get people to relate Mm -hmm. and say, if you feel isolated now, imagine if the whole world were going on around you, but you couldn't leave your home because you have a child who's ill. Mm -hmm. So uh, you feel isolated, but the whole world is doing it. So you're in good company. They didn't have that luxury. And the difference that a cake can make that just having something to look forward to that Mm -hmm. breaks the monotony. I'm really hoping that people can relate to our mission. Those who didn't understand it before and the impact of it, I'm hoping they can now.
0: Wow. Yeah, that is so true. Just going through this pandemic and and me myself too sometimes i have to sit back and think like hey i'm lucky you know i relatively haven't been affected you know i've had things canceled but that's really trivial in the long run of how lucky i am and how most of my life is still running just as it would you know so i've like obviously i've had to stay you know socially distant not be exposed to other people but in the long run that's nothing compared to what other people are currently going through or have previously gone through in situations like you're explaining. Yes. Um, Who, I'm really curious about this, who was a cake artist that jumped on board as a volunteer that surprised you or was like a dream, like you couldn't believe (laughs) they jumped on board as a volunteer? And along those lines as well, who maybe who is someone that you still are dreaming of having as a volunteer?
1: So, um, oh gosh, that, is a, that second one is a tough one. Let's start with your first question. So it was so funny in the very beginning when it was me pretty much cold calling these people to tell them about what we're doing and seeing if they would be interested. Um, and not necessarily realizing the uh, level of talent I was reaching out to. I mean, yeah. that was at the time when all the Food Network shows, all the challenges that everything were so big uh-huh. and I wasn't necessarily recognizing the names. So, but I will say where I kind of knew we were going to make it. And it, I was like giddy, um, it was actually right after that cake in New York, and um, I'm from Northern New Jersey originally. So I was in visiting family. And I said, let me go into New York and see if I can meet with the baker that did that cake um, and just kind of get a feel on how what she thinks we can do about kind of growing. So her name was Kate Sullivan. And when I called her, I didn't recognize that I had her book sitting on my bookshelf, right? That tells you how naive I was. Um, and some of her friends in the industry in New York were Ann Heap from Pink Cake Box, Elisa Strauss from Confetti Cakes. Um, those were probably three of the biggest names at the time, mm-hmm. right? So I went into New York and it turns out they decided to they were in New Jersey or I, one was in New Jersey, one was in, up in um north of the city anyway they decided to come in for dinner well i had a volunteer that was at the restaurant um walked over with kate and then ann and elisa met them over there and i was running a little bit late well i get a text message from the volunteer who was already there saying they are so excited to meet you and i started cracking up because i'm like This is crazy, like I had cake crushes on these women (laughs) and here they were excited to meet me. But the reason I tell the story is not to pat myself on the back, but that made me realize here are three giants Mm -hmm. within the industry who want to help this mission. And the reason they were excited to meet me was because I was simply giving them a platform to give back. And it was about giving back, not about me. So I just thought that was so cool. And I thought, goodness gracious, if we have three giants in the industry so excited about our mission, where can we go? And honestly, it was like, you could pick them off. Like from that point forward, anyone we wanted, we pretty much got, um, there are a couple of exceptions and I won't necessarily mention their name, but the, so one that I'm dying to have the opportunity to get to. Do a cake for us, um, not that she hasn't signed up, but I would love for her to have an opportunity to do a cake. Is Natalie Sidesurf because her work right now is on fire. Um, and she's just got so much buzz going on around her right now. Um, and her work is just absolutely exceptional. So, not that the rest of them aren't, <laughs> but she just, she's my current cake crush.
0: Oh, yeah, it has to be exciting to have anyone jump on board, but then yeah. someone big and well-known, it, it going back to that, just believing in the mission that you set out and, and the organization that you created and having big names jump in and know what you're doing, understand it, and want to be a part of it, just, it. It must be a dream come true. There is no doubt. It
1: definitely way bigger than I ever expected, embraced by the community way more than I ever expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, you know, when you have someone like Sylvia Weinstock offering her time to be the prize in one of our fundraising contests, you know, uh, it, it classic. It, 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 I could just go on with names forever of yeah. people that I just never expected and just could, can't believe they're on board. So. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Now it's the exception, not the rule. So <laughs> yeah. if they if they're not participating, it's really the exception.
0: Yeah, oh, I bet. You have I mean with twelve thousand, there has to be some really, really incredible people yes. in there. Um so you mentioned very briefly way back in the beginning, um, that you do motivational speaking. What is that all about?
1: So it's really focused on unfortunately it's the same story over and over so once you've heard me there's a whole not a whole lot to hear (laughs) but it's really kind of our i like to use the term testimony because it's the icing smile story it's really you know how we got started and the primary theme that runs throughout all of it is the fact that there is nothing extraordinary about me i am your average suburban soccer mom accountant you know, so there's nothing about me that should have been in a position to create an international, almost million dollar organization. You know, mm-hmm. it really is, anybody can do it. So I use us as an example to say, you simply have to find that place. And there's a quote, um, see if I can pull it out off the top of my head, Francis Beekner, who is an American theologian and my paraphrased version, I just want to give him credit for it, is basically that where your happiness intersects with the world's needs is where your purpose is found. And I kind of set up the talk to say, look, I loved making cakes. I really don't have a talented bone in my body, but I loved it, they made me happy and these families that we're serving need special memories. So that's where my happiness and the world's needs intersected and look what happened. All you have to do is take stock of what makes you happy and figure out how to use it to serve. So you just got the three minute cliff notes version of my my motivational speaking, but it really hits home with Mm -hmm. people when they realize that you. Don't have to be different. It's there's nothing special about me. Just take your ordinary skills and use them, and you will be amazed at what you can do.
0: Oh yeah! Wow, I love that message. Thank you so much for sharing that. If listeners take one thing from this episode, that's that's it. That's well, that and getting you a technology grant. Yes, <laughs> um, those two things. That one's more important. Set. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding um well awesome tracy i have loved hearing about your organization and everything that you've created when you have a busy life and when you have a normal life i just love the message and everything that you're doing we need a lot more people in the world like you it's incredible
1: that's very sweet thank you
0: yeah so for the end of podcast questions what is the best or most recent book that you've read Okay, can I give you a fiction and a nonfiction, please do always looking for tons of books to add to the list, of course. Okay,
1: so and the funny part is I tried to figure out how they related and I was able to tie them together so nonfiction let me start with fiction from fiction it's Jane Eyre. Um, It's been my favorite book since college. I read it a bunch of times and I had to really think through when you ask the question, why do I, what is it about that book that I love? Um, And I think it's the fact that despite a really messy life, she still had her happy ending. And I just love that message that, you know, I was kind of brought up with a mom who was a dreamer and everything was a fairy tale and that's not what life is and it set me up for some disappointment you know when my date left the the junior prom to go (laughs) to a party and left (laughs) me behind you know yeah like that you know those things when you're expecting a fairy tale it can be devastating and jane eyre is not a fairy tale but in the end she ended up with her happy ending so i kind of like that for that reason on the non-fiction side, there's a book and um, it is faith-based, but if you, if you bear with me for a little bit, I'll get to how it really applies to anyone, no matter your faith. Yeah. It's called One Way Love and um, I cannot pronounce his name and I pray that he never listens to this podcast <laughs> because it's, all, but it's Billy Graham's grandson. And this, the concept of the book is basically that, you know, Christ died on the cross, it's all done, it is finished, and you don't have to earn grace and forgiveness. It's done. And it, I, you know, spent a lot of time beating myself up and I tend to be a perfectionist. So recognizing that okay while this applies on a faith level, it can also apply to my self worth and and how I look at myself. And to say, you know what, accept yourself as you are the same way God accepts you as you are and give yourself grace for your mistakes, because life is messy. So you are gonna make mistakes along the way. Life is not gonna be perfect. And if you're not making mistakes, you're probably not trying hard enough at new things. So just forgive yourself, give yourself grace and move on. And there's value in that. So those are my two favorites
0: and that's why they
1: kind of tie together.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing, adding both to the book list. Um, There you go. (laughs) Who or what in your life is illuminating right now? Um, so I would say watching
1: my kids become the adults that they were meant to be is pretty cool. Um, I went through a divorce when my kids one, My son was going into junior high. My daughter was going into high school and now one is already in college. And I mentioned she's Navy Rotzi at Yale chemical Mm -hmm. engineering. Yeah. And my son um, is an incredibly hard worker. We're just starting his college journey and he's got so much empathy and he just, he's such a people person and has so much character that see, recognizing that, you know what, I didn't do so bad, um, really is, is, is illuminating for me. Mm-hmm. On, that's on a personal side, but obviously the people I meet through Icing Smiles are just amazing. You know, you see the best and the worst in people, and I try to focus on the best. And when you have volunteers busting their bottom Mm -hmm. to get a cake for a sick family, there's you just can't match it. You realize that there are a ton of really good people out there that just need the opportunity to serve.
0: Wow. Yeah, inspirational, for sure. Um, what is a, another organization, other than yours, that you would like to illuminate?
1: Oh, you tricked me there because I was obviously gonna say eyes some smiles. <laughs> well, of course um, we
0: illuminated it here and, and it,
1: it deserves to be. <laughs> you did, oh, so this is gonna be a tough one just because there are so many that we work with. Um, I would probably say, and, and this is also someone who inspires me as well, Candlelighters of New York City, is an organization that we work with quite a bit. There are Candlelighters chapters all over the US and they do serve families um, with uh, cancer diagnosis, children with cancer diagnosis. Um, Barbara, who is the executive director of the New York chapter, She's just someone who's dedicated her entire life to service and blows me away as to how much she is willing to do for these families, from bringing them into her home to ensuring that their visits to Sloan Kettering that they've got strollers and there's nothing that she would not do. Um, so I would say that's probably an organization that I would, I would illuminate in a heartbeat.
0: I will have to check them out. I've never heard of the organization so I'll have to look into that. and. Tracy, what is your one message to send to the world? Give
1: yourself and everyone else grace, because if we just offered up a little bit more grace, I think we could change so much about our current situation. And I would just love to see everybody give some more grace.
0: All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tracy Quisenberry. If you want to continue to follow along with all that Tracy and Icing Smiles is doing, you can find them at IcingSmiles.org or at Icing Smiles on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can follow along with all that the Illuminate Podcast is doing at the Illuminate Podcast on Instagram or at Illuminate underscore pod on Twitter. And as I mentioned earlier, we do have a listener survey for the Illuminate Podcast, and we would so appreciate if you took a couple minutes and filled that out so we can get some feedback on how we're doing, what you want to hear more of, and some other general questions to help us to continue to improve the show. So I will put a link to that in the show notes where you can go and fill that out. All right. Other than that, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tracy and you enjoy the rest of your week.